Some of y'all are probably singing the rest of that song in your mind. Uh, you know, while that's a catchy little tune, it really can't get rid of worry in our lives, can it? But as we turn in our Bible today to Philippians chapter 4, what we're going to find is that God has given us some guidelines, some answers for how to deal with anxiety in our life. In Philippians 4, 6 through 9, this is what we're told. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. As we look here at verse 6, and it says, do not be anxious, the, the Greek word that is used here has a root meaning of to divide and separate. The word means to be pulled in two different directions. And as we think about what worry is, uh, worry has been called the silent killer. It not only causes health issues, it can rob us of our health, but it robs us of our joy as well, which is uh, why Paul probably said earlier in verse 4, rejoice. Now, as he tells us there in verse 4, right before this, to rejoice, notice that he doesn't say, be happy. You see, be happy, the word happy comes from the root meaning of happenstance, or it's when we let our circumstances control us. And we all know that it's hard to be happy sometimes. There are trials and pressures in life that do push and pull against us, and it's hard to be happy at times. But if we focus on Christ rather than our circumstances, we can find peace in the midst of the storm. Remember that as Paul pins this letter to us, he's sitting in a prison cell. He's chained to a Roman guard and he's facing a death sentence. Now as we think about worry, I said that it can rob us not only of our joy but even our health. Robert Frost once said, the reason why worry kills more people than work is because more people worry than work. Now, I think it would be safe to say that there is a hundred percent of us here that have worried at some point in our life. And as you think about the things you've worried about in the past, what did they really accomplish? There was a study done, and this is what they found about worry and fear. They found that 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. 60% are totally unfounded. 20% of what we worry about is already behind us. 10% of our worries are so petty that even if they were to come true, they would have little effect on us. 4 to 5% of the remaining 10% are real, but there's little that we can do to stop it. Like when a hurricane is approaching the coast, you can't do anything about that. Now that means that only 5% are real fears that we can do something about. So maybe when the hurricane's coming, you say, I'm going to board up the windows. I'm going to make preparations for what is coming. So in short, most of the things we worry about don't happen, and of those that do, few are as bad as we imagine them to be. As we talk about worry today, I want you to turn over in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, because in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, Jesus Christ tells us about worry and the futility of it. Look at, look, look at what Matthew 6, 25 through 34 tells us. Jesus says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, 
nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single cubit to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How true is that statement? Each day has enough trouble of its own. So friends, why is it that we want to borrow worry from tomorrow, or maybe even 10 years from today, and the things that may or may not come? I'm the father of three children, and two of them are girls, and for those of you who have had to uh, pony up for a wedding, you know that's a, that's a big thing coming. And, uh, you know, in that case, I don't have to worry because they're not going to start dating until they're 30, so I've got a few years uh, to work on that. But there's college coming as well, and, and we've all seen the escalating cost and, 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 you know, how enormous that is. And when I look at what I've been able to save for their college funds, it's laughably low. So what am I to do? To stress and worry about these things? No. What good will that do? All it will do is steal joy from the present if I worry about these things. Now, I'm not telling you to be one of these people who buries your head in the sand and says, kind of like the song, well, just don't worry, be happy. Uh, that's, that's not prudent as well. You know, if you're somebody who's, who's wired like me, I'm one of these people that's wired to always be thinking 10 years down the road. And, and because of that, I'm always thinking, how do we get from here to there? What's the next step? And when this happens, what's that? And, and, the, and the mile marker is always moving. So when I tell you to not worry about tomorrow, I know it's hard not to think about things that are coming. And that's not what God is telling us to do as well. When it comes to worry and the, the things that we worry about, I, I want to show you something that I've learned. Today is the tomorrow that we worried about yesterday. Do you realize that? Today is the tomorrow that we worried about yesterday. And as you think about that, how many of those rabid Rottweiler moments that you feared were coming turned out to be something like a little teacup chihuahua like that, that maybe could, you know, nibble at your ankle in reality? And as we think about these things that are coming, and we worry about what's happening, we, we can't control those things. If you really want to know what is coming in the future, Paul tells us there in Philippians 4 5. He says, the Lord is near. There is a day coming where we will face a judgment. And we have to decide what will that judgment look like. For the Christian, the judgment will not be to decide whether you get into heaven or you're sent to a place of separation from God for all eternity called hell. If we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, we will be welcomed home 
into heaven. And so for the believer, we don't have to fear the future. We don't have to worry about what is coming. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be welcomed home to heaven. And all the other things in this life are simply a footnote to what is coming. Even if we live to be 100 years old or even more, our time here is nothing compared to what eternity will be like. The Apostle Paul, who was used by God to write Philippians, also wrote the book of Romans. And this is what he says in Romans 8, 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's life was one that was a constant set of pain and persecution. As you read through the New Testament, you see all that he endured. It wasn't just this one imprisonment. He was in jail plenty of times and shipwrecked and stoned and, and facing all kinds of hardships throughout his life. And Paul wasn't one who, who dwelled on those hard things. Jesus Christ said, which of us by worrying can even add a single cubit to your life? A cubit was a, a measurement about 18 inches long. And so what Jesus says is when we worry, when we're anxious about things, he says you won't even add this much time to your life. In fact, what medical science tells us is when we worry, when we're anxious, we actually diminish our life. Not only the, the quantity, but even the quality of our life. And so when we spend our time in worrying, uh, God says, why do you do that? He says, look at the birds. He said, I feed the birds. Now, when it comes to, to this, again, God isn't telling us, well, just sit back with your hands out and say, drop it on me, God. I mean, does, does the Bible tell us that God comes along and he throws the food for the birds into their nest? No. What he does is he provides it. But the birds have to go out and get it, to gather it. And for us as Christians, God says the same thing. I will provide what you need, not your greeds, what you need. But he says, you have a part in this. You have been given a mind and skills and, and abilities and time, and are you utilizing those to go out and get what I've provided for you? When God gives us health, abilities, and a brain, he wants us to use those things. If you look at Luke chapter 14 and verses 28 through 31, we're told this. It says, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? And it goes on and it talks about the futility of the person who starts a project without planning it out and, and, and seeing if the resources were available and, and how people will ridicule him. And then he gives a second illustration where he says, or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? You see, prudent people prayerfully put together a plan. And then they work the plan. God is not saying that we just sit back and we don't worry, that we just say, well, God will provide somehow. What God says is we have a part in it, and he wants us planning, and he wants us to be a part of it. But what he's telling us is our security doesn't come from our stuff or the steps that we have in place. Our security comes from our position in Christ and understanding who he is and what he will do. Sometimes worry comes from all the variables that are out there, and this, this paralyzes people as they're, they're not sure what to do or where to start. And if, if you're somebody who's, who's always wondering, how do you do that, here's, here's a tool that you can use. It's called a decision tree. Whoops. A decision tree 
or some might term it a flow chart, is simply where you come up with a question. So where you see the, the number one, you would come up with a question. And then based upon what the available options are, it would either lead you to A or B in your decision. And then from there, uh, how you answer that particular decision will then move you to the next decision. And, and on it goes. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this. For instance, people sometimes uh, wonder and they say, what, what are we to do? Is, when we're talking about worry here, let me ask you this. The first question could be, is there something I can do about it? Is there something I can do about it? Now, listen carefully. I didn't say, is there something I should have done, right? Sometimes we default to that and we say, oh, I should have done this. You know, friends, if you've had a car wreck, it's too late to stop and say, you know, I should have stopped and looked both ways before I pulled out. So it moves you to one of those options. Now the next question may be, is my spouse or parent going to kill me for wrecking the car? No, that's not on the chart. But what we do then is we get to that next question and we say, okay, what can be done about it at this point? And for a believer, what we do is option number one should always be, have I prayed about this? And have I checked what God's word gives me guidance on regarding this decision? One of the questions that I'm asked on a regular basis is, Pastor, I'm thinking about marrying this particular person. I want to know if it's God's will for my life. So question number one, I always ask the individual, well, first I tell them, congratulations, that's exciting that you're considering this. But then I say, uh, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, is that right? Yes, I do. And I say, is this potential fiancé a person who knows Jesus as well? And there are many times the individual will say, well, I don't know, or even, no, they don't. And I'll say, well, then, God's will for you is not to marry this person. And they'll say, but I love them, or this, or that. And I'll say, why do I say that? Well, because the guidance God gives us is, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it says, do not be unequally yoked with a non-believer. And so God gives us the answer. The option is not, A, move on to the potential of marrying this person. Now, if the person says, yes, they know and love the Lord, I say, fantastic. We then move to the next set of guidelines God gives. What are the things he, he lists about being a godly spouse? And you can, you can then walk through the next levels and the next and the next. And so this is how a decision tree works. Now, maybe you're looking at this and you're saying, well, Roger, I don't... That's kind of confusing to me. I'm not wired to think like that. Well, let me show you something you learned probably very early in school. If you were ever on fire, what, did, what were you taught to do in school? Are, are you to run around as fast as you can like a wild person trying to put the flames out? Is that what you're supposed to do? No, that just makes it worse. And it's the same way with worry, isn't it? Sometimes we get in a panic situation. We run around like a wild person. And what God tells us is, listen, I want you to stop. I want you to drop, and I want you to roll. Okay, when you're faced with a situation where you're anxious about something, where worry or something has suddenly happened, the first thing God says is stop. Take a breath. And then I want you to drop down to your knees. And I want you to roll your worry onto me. I want you to take whatever it is that you're anxious about. I want you, whatever that, that decision is that is weighing you down, I want you to roll it onto me. I want you to stop, drop, and roll. And this is what God says to us. Now, one day there was a woman who heard Dr. G. Campbell Morgan preaching. 
And he was, he was talking about prayer and, and turning your problems over to God. And this woman came up to Dr. Morgan after the service, and she said, you know, you were talking about this, and she said, but I have a question. She said, am I supposed to pray about everything, even the little things in my life? And Dr. Morgan smiled at this woman, and he said, ma'am, can you tell me anything in your life that is big to God? Friends, if you're sitting here thinking, well, this thing I'm dealing with, it's really too little for me to bother God with. Well, if that's the case, then why is it bothering you? God wants to know what is going on in our life. God wants us to come to him. We're to turn everything over to God in prayer. As Paul talks about turning things over to God in prayer in verse 6, he uses four different Greek words for prayer here. And the first word that he uses, the word that is simply translated as prayer, it describes a believer's approach to God. It's how we come to him in adoration, devotion, and worship. And so many of us forget to start. You've seen the acronym before, Acts, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. It's kind of based upon these different words. And the first one here is adoration. Whereas we come before God in prayer, what we're to do is first stop and focus on who he is. And as we look at God and as we see the enormity of our God, as we realize he is the creator of everything, including us, and he is the provider of everything for the, for the birds of the air and as he takes care of the fields and all the other things, what Jesus says is, as you think about who God is, that giant-sized problem you're facing in your life, you know what suddenly happens to it? It shrinks down in size, doesn't it? Because in comparison with who God is, that enormous problem in our life suddenly becomes small when we see that our God is capable of handling it. Now, as I said, sometimes we think, well, God's too big to be bothered with our problems. But I want you to remember that Jesus Christ said, when we approach God in prayer, how are we to talk to him? Our Father Daddy. We're to tell him our needs. We're to understand this infinite God of the universe is a personal God for those who know his son. And he says, come as a, a child to a father. President Abraham Lincoln, when he was in the White House, had a standing rule for his advisors and cabinet members and others who were around. He said, if my son Tad ever wants to come in and see me, I don't care what is happening, he is to be given immediate access. Now, there were times during the Civil War and other things where there would be a war council and there were all these generals and leaders and other people that were happening and things were heated, and suddenly this little boy would come walking into the room and, and you know, all these big, important people would get all upset. What, get this kid out of here. We're dealing with some important matters here. And Lincoln would always turn to whoever was upset about his son coming in, and he would say, listen, he's my son. And Lincoln would get down, listen to him, deal with whatever it was, and then send his son out. And for us, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, may I remind you that we are adopted into the family of God. And we become sons and daughters. And what our daddy in heaven says is, I want you to come to me. I'm never too busy for the needs or things in your life. You know, as a daddy myself, I know the comfort and peace that comes to my children. There are times that they'll come running up and jump in my lap. Even my teenager at this point occasionally just wants to sit with daddy and snuggle. And as, as they're kind of getting real close and worried about something, I'll say, what's going on? 
And as they talk to me and as I hold them and, and I talk with them and even pray with them or other things, what I find is whatever that big boogeyman was, whatever that huge worry was, that Rottweiler that was going to devour them, it shrinks in size to that teacup chihuahua. It's like a little shaking rat dog. And they suddenly realize, <laughs> if you own a chihuahua, I'm sorry. <laughs> but what happens is suddenly the problem shrinks in size because they have their father who's giving them comfort and advice and says, I can, I can lean into this situation. I can help you. Or here are some paths or things that we, you can do. You know, as Paul talks about prayer here, this is why he begins with prayer that praises God. He says, once we have that proper perspective, once we see God for who he is, then our problems can be presented to God because they've shrunk down to their appropriate size. So the next word he uses means supplication. This is our shopping list. This is where we come with what we're entreating God about. This word describes an earnest sharing of our needs and problems with the emphasis on receiving an answer to that specific need. You see, it's not just saying, well, our prayers kind of go up there and they don't go anywhere. It's understanding that God hears them and God will answer our prayers. Now, the next thing that he says is we are to offer thanksgiving. This is the attitude of gratitude that should come with our prayers. This is where when God has answered our prayer, we tell him thank you. We don't just move on to the next thing on our shopping list. What we say to God is thank you for your answer. Now, maybe you're sitting here saying, you know, Roger, I would thank God for the answer to my prayers if he would answer them. But I've been praying for years to win the lottery, and he hasn't done that yet. <laughs> well, friends, that's an answer to prayer, isn't it? He said no. Or maybe you're thinking, well, it's not yet, Roger. It's not yet. It's not no. Okay, well, as you're thinking this, I want you to understand sometimes why God doesn't answer the way we want. You see, what James 4.3 tells us is sometimes you ask and do not receive because you ask with selfish motives so that you'll spend it on your pleasures. And so what God says is sometimes I will say no to you because I know what you're going to do with it. Now, there are other times that God doesn't answer our prayers because he knows what is best for us. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, the one who is writing these words, wrote that he had a thorn in his flesh. Scholars believe it was some type of a severe physical ailment that just hindered Paul. And Paul, the scriptures tell us, prayed on three different occasions that are recorded for this thorn to be removed, for relief to be given, for healing or something to come. And what God said to Paul is, I will not heal you. I will not remove this. And then he says, why? He says, my strength is sufficient for you. And he tells Paul, this will keep you humble. This will keep you dependent on me. And friends, sometimes God says no because he has a better reason for something in our life. Now, there was an anonymous author who wrote this about prayer. He said, I asked for strength that I might achieve, but God made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. He gave me grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. He gave me poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men but he gave me weakness that I might feel a need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, and he gave me my life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing that I asked for, 
but he gave me everything that I had hoped for. Friends, do you realize that God does that with us as well? As Paul speaks to us about prayer, the fourth and last word he uses here is one that reminds us to come to God with our problems. He says, let your requests be made known to God. It speaks of a definite and specific need in our life where we come and we tell him, this is what is happening, this is what I need. Now, sometimes people say, well, God is omniscient, so why do I need to talk to God? Why do I need to tell him? Doesn't he already know my needs? Yeah, he does. But remember, we have a relationship, a father-child relationship. And what would you think if you as a parent only had your kids come to you whenever they had their hand out and said, I need some more money, Mom, Dad, I need this. Would you at some point say, are you my child? I mean, do I ever hear anything more from you than just need, 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 want? God says that he wants us to have a relationship. He wants to know our life. He wants intimate conversation with us. You know, another thing that James tells us in James 4, too, is he says, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes we ask with the wrong motive. Sometimes he says, you didn't ask. Are we those who come to God in prayer and talk to him? Now, as we come to God, verse 7 tells us, when we present our needs, as we, as we sit in our daddy's lap, as we focus on who he is, he says, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is God's answer for anxiety, to come to him with our needs. There was a well-known judge one day who was sitting in a service, and the pastor, as he looked out, he sees this person, and, and he was kind of amazed that this man was in the service. And afterwards, he was in the vestibule to greet people as they were leaving, and as this judge was leaving, he said, well, Your Honor, it was, it was great to have you here in worship today. He said, um, you're, you're known for your oratory skills and, and, you know, the opinions you write and things. He said, I was just wondering, could you offer an opinion about my sermon today? What, what did you think about it? And the judge looked at this pastor and he said, well, it was like the peace and mercy of God. And the pastor got flattered and he said, wow, that's, I'm, I'm humbled. How, how could you say that about my message today? And he said, well, it was like the peace of God because it passed all understanding. <laughs> and it was like his mercy because I thought it would go on forever. <laughs> now, I, I hope that you don't think that about my messages, but... What I do want you to experience is God's peace and mercy, which comes from turning to him. Many of you have heard of Helen Keller. She was a woman who was born blind and deaf. As you look at the, the, the deck that was stacked against her, we know the story of how uh, a person entered into her world and, and, and helped her to be able to break through the darkness and communicate, and, and Helen Keller became a believer. And she said one time, I don't want the peace that passes understanding. I want the understanding which bringeth peace. I don't want the peace that passes understanding. I want the understanding that brings peace. Friends, Paul was one who had that understanding. Paul was one who knew what it was like to be in the hand of Christ, to be in his will, and to be walking in the way that God had for him, even when it wasn't the path that Paul would have chosen. And because Paul was one who knew what it was to rest in Christ and not his circumstances, he could have peace in the midst of the storm. 
We've all seen the, the news shots of the hurricane as it makes landfall. And, and it's amazing when the eye of the storm crosses over because suddenly it becomes calm and peaceful. There in the midst of a raging storm all around, there's, there's peace and serenity and calm in the midst if you're in the eye of the storm. And for us as believers, when we place ourselves in the hand of Christ and he closes it around us, and John 10, 28 through 29 says, and God the Father who is greater than all closes his hand around us as well. He shelters us. He puts us under the wings of, of a bird is, is another image that the scripture uses for us. Paul was one who was securely in the hand of Christ, which is why as he faced death, he could write earlier in Philippians 1, 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said, whether my life is spared or my life is over here on earth and I go home to my eternal life in heaven, it's gain. As Paul talks about the, the peace that we can have in Christ, he tells us in Philippians 4, 7, that when we transfer our troubles to the Lord, we are given a silent sentry that is called peace. The Greek word used for guarding here literally described a detachment of soldiers who stood guard over a city and protected it from attack. The special forces, the Marines, the Navy SEALs, you picture whatever you want. They are standing guard around you. And we have something even better than that. We have God closing his hand around us. God the Son and then God the Father. And he says, when you are in Christ, you're mine and I'll hold on to you and I'll carry you through. In John 14, 27, Jesus Christ said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You know, one of the sources of fear in our life is when worry takes over our mind, isn't it? It begins to wear on us. It begins to, to, to just give us no rest. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we're told to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We, we've all heard that story of garbage in, garbage out, and programming and other things. It's the same thing in our life. When we let the worry of the world permeate our minds, then, then it takes over our life. One of the ways that God gives us to protect our mind here is he tells us to flood our mind with the word of God and other worthy things. Look at verse 8 of Philippians 4. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Let your mind dwell on these things. The Greek word that is used here means to think through something logically and carefully. To think through something logically and carefully. It, it means we just don't pass over things, but we ponder them. We consider them. I want you to think about the difference between taking a, a cup of hot water and, and taking a tea bag and, and dip, dip, and pulling it out. And then taking another one where you put the tea bag in it and you leave it and you let it steep and you let it draw the flavor out of the tea. Which, which cup of tea do you want to drink? Is it the one that's wheat colored water that you just quickly dipped in? Or is it the one that you've let, uh, let it sit and steep and draw it out? 
And this is what God says to us. Do we let our minds dwell on the good things, on the things that God has given to us, on the ways that God has provided? You know, many of us let worry fill our minds, but we rarely linger over the good things. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you laid awake at night because you were thinking about all the good stuff in your life? Do you remember the last time you were up all night because you were just thinking of all the great stuff going on in your life? Or can you think more often of the times you laid awake all night with worry about something at work or a family member or some other situation in your life? You know, we look at little kids. My kids, if they know something good is coming, some big event, getting to go somewhere or a birthday or visiting something, they lay awake at night. You know, my son will come down in the middle of the night. Zachary, go to sleep. Daddy, I can't sleep. I'm thinking about tomorrow, you know. And he's dwelling on the good thing to come. Is that what we do? As we get older, it's often the worries about the bad things that keep us up at night. One night there was a, a weary Christian, and he was, he was up all night. He was worrying about something going on in his life. And, and as he talked to God about this problem, he, he suddenly felt this peace, and, and he, he felt God whispering something to him. And what he said is, you know, Jim, go to sleep. I'm going to be up all night anyway, so I'll sit up with this. When we give something to God, when we stop, drop, and roll it over to God, do we really release it? Or do we hold on to it? There was a man who was walking along down a backcountry road, and he, he had a big backpack on, and he was weighed down, and he was, you know, just shuffling along down the road. And, and suddenly a farmer comes up this road in a wagon. And he's driving a team of horses, and he sees this traveler with this big burden on his back. And he, he says to the man, he says, uh, I'm, going, I'm going up the road here. He says, why don't you just jump in the back and, and rest? I'll, I'll carry you up the road for a while. And the man thanked the farmer, and he climbed in the back of the wagon, and the farmer gets the horses going. And they're going along down the road. And after a little bit of time, the farmer looks back to see how this uh, traveler's doing that he picked up. And he was surprised to see the man was in the back of the wagon, still bent over under the, the weight of his load. And, and the farmer said to him, he said, sir, what, what are you doing? He said, why don't you just lay your pack down and rest, take a load off. And the man looked at the farmer and he said, well, I'm helping the horses carry the load. And maybe you're thinking, that's foolishness. But friends, how many of us do something similar with God? How many times do we roll something over to God, but then we say, God, I'm going to help you carry this. I've got to keep worrying about it. I've got to keep, you know, carrying this load with you. Paul tells us in verse 9 that he was one who had learned to let God have his burdens. And he calls on us to do the same. Look at verse 9. He says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. It's not enough just to know them. He says, practice these things. Stop, drop, and roll. Give it to God. 
Today we have a choice to make. Will we continue to carry our worries or will we give them to God? As you consider that question, I, I want to end by showing you a picture. If you've ever been to New York City to Rockefeller Center, what you'll find is there is a statue there in front of Rockefeller Center. It depicts Atlas bearing the weight of the world on his shoulder. And if you go and you stand in front of that statue and you study it, you'll see he's this powerfully built man. He's, he's got rippling muscles. But you see there as he's holding the weight of the world on his shoulders, he's buckling under the load. One foot is slipping. He's, he's barely able to stand. And as you're standing there considering the statue, what's interesting is if you turn around and look right across the street, what you find is St. Patrick's Cathedral is right across the street from this statue. And if you walk across the street and you go into this church, there inside is a, a statue, a very small statue depicting Jesus as a, as a young boy. And as you look at the statue of Jesus, what you notice is he has one hand out, palm turned up, and with no effort at all, there is the world sitting in his hand. And with his other hand, he is making the sign of peace. Friends, we have a choice today. Do we want to bear the weight of the world, the worries, the anxiety, the things we're carrying and try to do it on our own? Or do we want to roll them over to God? To say to God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And as such, today I give you my world and all its worries. And I ask for you to give me the peace that passes all understanding. Would you surround me now, God, with that peace? Friends, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to just take a few moments to silently talk to God. To stop to drop and roll some of your worries, to roll the problems you carried in here, to let those things go. It may be some situation at school or work. It could be what's happening with your health or your home. It could be some struggle or sin in your life that you've been wrestling with. And what God says is if you will come to me, if you will drop them at the foot of the cross, if you will just leave them there, my blood that washed away your sins will wash away those transgressions. The thing that is separating you from me, those things can be gone if you come to me as your Savior. And for those of us who are already God's children, what he says is talk to your daddy in heaven. Crawl up in his lap right now and just say, God, these are the things I'm dealing with. And will you take and carry them for me? Will you just wrap your arms around me as my daddy? Let's talk to God in prayer and I'll close this in a moment. Lord God, we thank you that you are a great and mighty God. That you are all-powerful and all-knowing. That there is nothing that you cannot handle. And Father, as immense and as great as you are, we thank you that we don't shudder in fear and, and tremble in your presence, but 
Father, we come as a child, as your son, as your daughter, because of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, the one who has forgiven us, removed the wall of separation, has made us able to be adopted into the family, and as such, as your children, you as our daddy, you want to hear our needs. Father, this morning you've heard some of those needs. Hard things happening in the home or with health, some things at school or at work, relationships that are broken, lives that are in the muck and mire of sin, and we thank you, God, that you're able to handle all of it. And so, Lord Jesus, today we want to we roll those things onto you, and we want your help in not carrying them out of here. We want to drop our load and not continue to try to help you carry it. We know that you can be trusted to take care of them. You are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. You are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. You are the Lord Sabbath, the Lord of the host of the armies, all-powerful. God, you are capable for whatever it is we face today. And so we, we lay these needs at your feet. And Lord Jesus, we ask for your peace that passes all understanding to surround us. May we feel your peace. May we rest in that today. We thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are prayer leaders at the front. If you have a need that you would like somebody to pray with you about, they're here to minister to you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.